Welcome everyone to this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. I'm Tim Grady. I'm here with my co-host Lou Weiss. We happen to be at ISM 2018 in lovely Nashville, Tennessee, where we're broadcasting from the exhibit hall floor. So all the noise you hear in the background is all of the people who are here, some 4,000 attendees I heard. What did I hear? What a terrific number. And we're sitting with Tim Fiore, who is the committee chair for the Institute for Supply Management's report on business, and Anthony Dievis, which is the Institute for Supply Management's non-manufacturing report on business. And they're going to touch a little bit on both of those reports and the semi-annual update that they'll be presenting later today here in a session. Uh, Tim, Anthony, welcome again to Manufacturing Talk Radio. Thank you for being with us. Yeah, great to be here and great to be the four of us in one spot. Yes, thank you very much. For and if you keep on coming uh, often enough, you get the yellow jacket. Well, we're not really fitting in. We're in dark colors and you guys are in bright colors. At some point, we all got to look the same, don't we? <laughs> well, we're, we're bookends here. <laughs> you got us bookended. So, Tim, where would you like to start? You, you, we did talk, both you and Anthony, earlier in the month about the irregular reports. Do you want to work on the semi-annual update that everybody's waiting with bated breath to hear? Yeah, I think that'd be a good place to start. And then uh, we could probably go into just do a summary on what happened at the end of last month, because a lot of things are happening. I mean, the number tended to decline. That's not really the full story. But let's let's talk about the semi-annual. So, you know, in November, December of last year, the community took a look forward for 2018. There's some predictions on revenue, operating rates, uh, capex expenditures, price growth, and then in May we uh, we do a status on it. And today we release the announcement, and we've got a 6.6 percent growth in revenue in the manufacturing sector for 2018, which is really strong. Uh, back in December we figured it was going to be 5.1, so we're up 1.4 points, 20 uh, percent growth expansion in the space of six months. Things are humming along really well, and uh, it's five of our six big industries. You know, our six big industries are 70% of the manufacturing economy. Five of them predict revenues over 44%, which, uh, you know, you talk about three, three and a half percent GDP, manufacturing revenues at 4%. Now, it's not real GDP, but it's real growth. So those are real sure. strong numbers. Sure. Love, love the oil numbers. <laughs> Clearly, you already heard that from me. Clearly strong, clearly strong. Anthony, from your perspective, what are uh, you working on the semi-annual update? Well, when you look at the non-manufacturing sector, our respondents are not as optimistic as the manufacturing side, but still it's a good picture. When you look at revenues, at the forecast going forward is 3.2%. That's a bit off of the 6.0% uh, that they had uh, from the fall forecast, and a little bit down from the 57 as well. So when you look at the non-manufacturing sector year over year, uh, we look at last year there were uh, 17 of the industries forecasted revenue growth. This year, looking forward, it's only uh, 16. But still, if you look going back to last month's report uh, on the monthly and what we've had going forward for the non-manufacturing sector, it's been a very, uh, very good picture going forward. Yeah, so let's, uh, let's talk a little bit more about the revenue. So. Uh, we figured that we closed 2017 at 4.1%. So we figured we're going to close 2018 at 6.6. .6. That's a 50% growth nearly. That's pretty wow. incredible stuff. Yeah, sure and, is. you know, we've been talking about the PMI every month. And although we had a decline in the PMI index, which is a sum 
of uh, the five top indexes averaged out. We had a decline last month. Uh, my point in the analysis was that demand was still very strong. That, uh, our new order index was over 60 for 12 straight months, even though it was slightly down from the prior month. Our customer inventory number kind of went up a little bit, but not a big deal. And most importantly, the uh, backlog of orders set a uh, new record that hadn't been seen since, I think, 2011. So demand is really good. The community is saying that the year will end up very strong in a 6.6% expansion. And uh, I, I keep saying if you've got demand, then everything else is just a management challenge. <laughs> good point. I think, I think Brad Holcomb retired at the wrong time. Well, <laughs> no, Tim's making these numbers go straight up. Doing a great job. <laughs> Brad said the same thing when I uh, ran into him last night. He said, look, Tim's show me up. His numbers are better. Uh, <laughs> I just report the facts. <laughs> the facts are nothing but the facts. You mentioned about the PMI that took a drop. Uh, that was less than a point, wasn't it? Uh, we actually were down two points last month. Oh, two points. Uh, yeah, we're actually, uh, I, I think, but the real reason for the drop is the fact that we're not able to hire the quantity of employees that we need, and the supply chain is struggling with transportation issues and uh, tariff-related uh, inefficiencies that have occurred, and the two of those combined are driving down our inventory account and our production account, and that, that's really why the PMI dropped. So I don't really see that as a negative thing, I just see that as a manufacturing challenge. So not to talk politics, let's talk about tariffs and taxes. Okay. What do you want to talk about? <laughs> Take your best shot. Well, all right. So let's jump to, uh, we did a semi-annual. We, ha we have actually special questions we asked the community. And we asked them about uh, tariffs. And on the manufacturing side, 63% predicted that their company would raise prices due to tariff-related impacts. That's a big number. Five of the six big industry sectors predicted that uh, they would see over 4% price growth and their products to the ultimate consumer, which is really high. So you know, even though the tariff countries are very small from the standpoint of percent of total steel and aluminum input, the fact that they've established a ceiling now on steel and aluminum prices has driven the market price up to very high levels. And all of the manufacturing community at this point intends to pass them through to the ultimate consumer. As, as you know, uh all metals and forges are primary uh, business, and it was the Friday, the 23rd of uh, March, was the first day that the tariffs were to go into effect, and it was the following week where Nucor, uh, Latrobe Steel, uh, Allegheny, uh, 8K, all raised their prices due to the tariffs. Now, they don't buy foreign steel, so I'm not sure why they felt they had to raise prices to American manufacturers, and then we, the public, are going to have to pay for it. Well, you know, I think I mentioned this on the show last week. Uh, the White House did announce that they were after $9 billion of money, and whether they got funded through tariffs or whether they got funded through market price growth, I don't know that that really mattered. But I think they're well on their way to $9 billion worth of market price growth. Sure feels that way. Well, Mr. President has uh, a lot of billions, doesn't he? Why does he make a contribution? <laughs> well, you know, our PMI last, what, 36% of the comments that came in were all tariff-related. 
know, the supply market is really struggling with it, whether it be prices, availability, price assurance, uh, access, lead times are being shoved out 14, 16 weeks from generally an eight to 12 week kind of lead time. So, but like I said on the show last week, the supply chain will work through this. We'll, we'll get through this. We'll figure out how to manage it efficiently. And the biggest issue I think from a manufacturing growth standpoint is labor, it's employment, because that's not something you can solve easily. Well, the skill gap issue has been going on now for quite a while, but I think that there's a lot of action in the marketplace, universities, uh, Votex, and so on, that are creating new programs, thinking out of the box, and they are getting a lot more people involved in manufacturing, and uh, we think that's really a good thing. And they make more money coming out of school. Big supporter. I'm a, I'm a, uh, I'm a technical school graduate. That's how I started my career. Is that right? Most people don't know that. Well, they do now. They do now. <laughs> Tim, I, I'm just I wondering. I went to school to be a mechanic. Ah, okay. But now you're massaging the numbers. That, no, I'm, yeah, right. <laughs> Tim, I'm just wondering on the manufacturing side, where are we at with capacity utilization? We've got to be bumping our ceilings up against that, or our heads against the ceiling. Right, right. So, you know, a couple of numbers came in on that. I mean, operating rates, production capacity, and CapEx. So, surprisingly, the operating rates were constant from what we predicted back in November. Uh, up from what we predicted a year ago, 4.1% up, but pretty much operating rates were about the same as what we said back in December. Production capacity uh, predicted to be up 5% pretty much in 2018 compared to 2017. That's really positive, I think. Our six top industries are expected to expand at about 4%. And uh, on the CapEx side, we uh, I think we lowballed the number back in December. We figured that we would spend about 2.7% more in CapEx for 18 compared to 17. And right now we think it's going to be closer to 10.1, which compares to a 8.7 in 2017. So we're continuing to expand on the CapEx side. That's uh, long-term goodness for all manufacturing and very positive. The surprise is really on the operating efficiency. I really thought that that would be higher. So let me ask you. Do you think this is going into 19, or am I being premature in asking that question? Well, I would predict that this will continue. Yeah, I, I don't see what's going to... Well, there's a bunch of unknowns. We're going to be talking about those in our session this afternoon. Uh, both uh, Anthony and I and Dave Bernson have a two-hour conversation about what's happened so far, what the semi-annual says, and the predictions for the future. And there are so many variables that could affect the future, it's really hard to say, but... If everything else was constant, this would continue to be a good run, I think. Anthony, on the non-manufacturing side of the house, you know, in, in Tim's world, they're building physical structure, they're building plants and equipment. What are they doing for capacity utilization on your side, non-manufacturing? That's a great question. And when you look at, um, you know, the operating rate for non-manufacturing and where it came in at um, 85.5%, which is down, considerably from what we had last year at the, it was better than 95, it was 95.9, and it was even higher going back the uh, year prior to that. It's, um, companies have transformed themselves uh, since the recession, doing more with less, and they become more efficient in how they do things as far as resources, number of people, 
um, technological advancement. These are some of the things that have been incorporated into uh, the operating rate capacity utilization. And Tim had mentioned about how it came off and he thought it would be higher. And same thing in non-manufacturing. I thought it would be higher, but they've also been experiencing some capacity constraint. And we've seen that throughout the year. So something had to give. They had to pull back a little bit in that regard. And, uh, you know, the big fear is, and to, to lose question earlier, you know, is this going to go into 2019? On the back of everyone's mind is, is, is this economy going to overheat? All right, that's the fear. And right now it looks like everything is still uh, stable. We've had this uh, really large uptick in growth coming out of the, to the first quarter. And now we're thinking that we'll see a little more uh, stability going forward, maybe a little sideways movement until uh, we get this uh, little bit of correction here. Anthony, I know that you know the tariff issue comes up on the manufacturing side of the house because they're trying to buy steel. One of the great sessions they've already had here at ISM is what do you do about steel if you're in the purchasing uh, department, if you're in the supply chain, do you buy now? Do you try to lock in? Do you wait? Eventually, that has to trickle through to the non-manufacturing side, to the consumer. It, were there any responses from your respondents about tariffs in terms of how what kind of hit they're going to take? Yeah, they were split uh, almost 50-50. 50.3% saying yes and 49.7% saying no. And you, I think you hit the nail right on the head, is whether or not this is going to pull through the supply chain and show up in ultimate delivered cost. Because what happens in most instances, because there are a couple of other things that affect this, most notably is competition. So unless you have few suppliers in a given commodity area, companies are wary about their competition and whether or not they're going to lose out on some business here. So they tend to absorb some of the price points within the supply chain and it doesn't always get passed through. Right. That's only a period of time because eventually it's, there's a threshold. One of the things that I'm always interested in because of my metals business, uh, but it's also very important for the U.S. economy, and that's our exports. How's our exports looking? Uh, exports have stayed pretty strong. Uh, we actually ended last month at 57.7, down from the last prior four months. And I think the currency is starting to firm up a little bit too. That may have affected that. Mm -hmm. But uh, exports have been really good. I mean, last time I looked at the numbers, I think all top six industry sectors were exporting. So uh, as long as the currency stays kind of where it is, there's been a lot of conversations, I think, in the market about whether uh, the U.S. should firm up its dollar. Yeah. And that may impact our ability to export. But on the import side, I mean, it's, you have advantage on one, disadvantage on the other, and it flips right. over. I mean, imports were down slightly too, but I think that was more in line with our production uh, constraints and the real issue that we haven't talked about yet, which is employment. Exports well, have been strong on non-manufacturing as well, 61.5 last month. And I think also, as Tim mentioned, the uh, the weakening of the dollar overseas, right? not tied as much to commodity markets as you would see on the manufacturing side because it's more about management, it's more about knowledge management, professional scientific technical services, management of companies, and information are the big uh, industries within the sector that export. Your update also includes a special question on employment, does it not? Correct. And is it easy? Anthony, why don't you... I guess there are four questions here. I'd like you gentlemen to kind of answer all four of those. Anthony, why don't you take the first one and yep. 
share that with our listeners? Certainly. So in non-manufacturing and manufacturing, we asked our uh, survey respondents the same questions and we wanted to know, uh, and the first question was about hiring workers. And this we touched on this a little bit earlier. And what was their difficulty in hiring workers? And 64.4% said yes, and 35.6% said no. And then we asked them, uh, in regards to that question, um, did we offer them any kind of special training? And 50% said yes, and 50% said no. Then we took it a step further, and we asked them about wages in regards to employment. And, you know, we were, you mentioned about the technical trades and the vocational schools. That's a big part of what's affected the non-manufacturing side is because the labor pool has not been there in which to draw from to backfill these positions. So, therefore, we've not had that wage pressure because there's nothing to really drive it at this point in time. Right. So, Tim, the uh, Institute for Supply Management is kind of the wizarding school for uh purchasing managers and everybody coming up in supply chain. Obviously, employment is huge. On the manufacturing side, same difficulties as the non-manufacturing side? Well, right. So, you know, we asked a general question, a general question around employment, and the community came forth and said that they expect 2018 to see a 1.8% growth in employment compared to 2017, which is greater than what we predicted in December of 2017, which was 1.2%. So essentially we said that we're going to go up 50% compared to what we said uh, in December for the rest of 2018, which doesn't really feel as strong as you would think. So but that was five of our six big industries said that they were going to continue their expansion. Fabricated metal products, by the way, was the strongest expander in the employment sector. Uh, so but we, you know, we looked at the special questions. And like the hiring difficulty, 78% of our respondents said they're having trouble hiring people. That's big a number. really big number. Huge. And then 54% said they had to raise wages to attract those employees in. And you know, when you raise wages, the follow-on knock-on effects that has with existing employees. Some get disgruntled. Some feel as if they should be raised. Their wages should be raised too. It causes this whole cascading effect that could really impact the company. So. For a company to raise its wages is a really big step, and we had 54% of our companies say that they did. And then lastly, 48% of the companies said they have to train those people even more than they had in the past. So not only are they raising the wages, they're not as qualified as the historical new hires. These are numbers that are all up. For instance, on the hiring difficulty in December, 65% said they had difficulty. Now they're saying 78%, so it's a clear expansion of the problem. 44% uh, said they raised wages, now it's 53. 44% said that they had to train more, now it's 48. So the, the labor issue continues to uh, stress manufacturing and is likely our single biggest issue to expanding the PMI for the rest of the year. So the uh, HP1 visa is not going to help? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> so we're, we're not going to bring in overseas labor to fill the gap. Uh, Lou was reading an interesting statistic about robotics and Japan. Uh, Lou, share that because I think we're going to see the same thing here soon. And we better listen to the Japanese. <laughs> yeah. 
Japan, the industry, robotic industry has grown tremendously over the last couple of years. And the United States, unfortunately, is not taking the lead. We are number seven in the world. The country that's number one is Japan. And the reason for that is that, you know, they, they lost a lot of people during the Second World War. They never really recuperated from that population-wise. They do have a smaller growing population. They have people that are retiring and dying and fewer people going into, uh, into manufacturing. So what do they do? They expanded on their robotics. And that's the reason Japan is number one in robotics. Well, and, and as you know, they don't really have an active immigration program either. Right. So they don't have much of a choice, right. do they? Not much. <laughs> Not much. I mean, some of their robots are even like humanoids. They have skin-like covering on their on their uh, arms and legs and so on. So, but I don't know if they look Japanese or if they look American. I'm not so, sure. So we have some, there's some great employment stories, and uh, Anthony and I have been, have been swapping some of these. And so, you know, like truck drivers, we talked about the truck right. driver shortage, and we, you know the disruptions that that's causing in, in the manufacturing sector and non-manufacturing sector because we can't move goods reliably and at affordable prices. If the prices are up on spot market, pull truck load, freight, like 10%, and that's 20% since January. And that's a, that's a big hit to take when, like in the manufacturing economy, 6% of your total expense is transportation. So, but now you've got truck drivers who, with construction expanding, they're getting out from behind the wheel and they're going to work on the construction sites. That helps the non-manufacturing side from an employment standpoint, but it puts a bigger crimp on, on uh, trucks. Now, we're not yet ready for automated trucks. So right. how do you solve that problem? I'm uh, not sure. I mean, maybe immigration policies, maybe allowing other people to come in. I know uh, the UK was pretty active at that back in the early 2000s with Eastern Europe opening up. They opened their borders, got a lot of people to come in to satisfy needs. We, you know, we have a problem here that I don't see is going to go away in the short term. You cannot offshore transportation. <laughs> no, you can't. No. Well, that's because this falls in Anthony's non-manufacturing side. It's his fault, so he's got to fix it. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> Anthony, what's it look like going forward? <laughs> so I'll take we, the hit. Sorry. Yeah. You got it. But overland trucking is such a big component for the non-manufacturing sector, especially when you see on the wholesale uh, transportation and warehousing side. Many non-manufacturing companies need distributors in the mix to add that time and place value, and they're reliant on overland trucking to hit the remote, disparate locations. So they feel that crimp, and when we see it in the commodity pricing on the monthly report, fuel charges, surcharges, the cost of fuel, that's all being pulled through, and uh, that is directly impacting price points in the supply chain for non-manufacturing. Big problem, big problem. One of, one of the things that uh, Tim and I have seen and talked about on our radio show regarding skill gaps and so on is that we do have some solutions. They're far-reaching solutions, and we have to get people to care about it. One of them is a prison system. The prison system, system in this country stinks. We have a lot of people in jail who shouldn't be there. They're, they're not violent crimes. They're being taught and trained to do new types of functions, supposedly high-tech functions, but they're not. 
they're learning how to sew dresses so that when they get out of prison, they, they, <laughs> sew to, they can go to Malaysia and sew dresses. Uh, the Manufacturing Day is a, a big event in this country. We should be doing it more than just once a year, get the kids more interested in manufacturing. And then there's another one, and I'm going to give a plug for Tim and I, women. We have a radio show called Women in Manufacturing, and we're talking about that, like from the days of Rosie the Riveter, there were three million women that came to work and saved our country. They literally saved the country. But we have the same situation here now. And we should be, and there's a lot of movement trying to get women uh, more involved, not only in, in manufacturing, but professional jobs, and um, look to help expand and decrease, expand the jobs and reduce the problems that we have in skills. That's always been our untapped resource, right? Yeah, absolutely. Still is to this day. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we should probably talk a bit about prices, huh? Okay. How much time we got? Uh, we got all the time in the world for you two guys. You're the pros. <laughs> That's why we're here. We got till six o'clock. Six o'clock. <laughs> all right. So let's talk about prices. So the manufacturing sector came back and said price growth is going to be 5% in 2018. 5%. Big, big, serious number. And we said that we've already seen 4.8% of it. So they're essentially wow. saying that we've already run it up from January to today, May, and now we're almost at the top, so, and we'll stay there. That's pretty much what they're saying, because we've asked them the question, what is the price growth going to be at the end of the year? So we're probably going to run at this level now for quite some time, and, and you know, many of you have listened into to the analyst calls, and a lot of the big manufacturing companies are talking about pricing headwinds based on raw material stuff. So the big question becomes, how much are they, are they able to actually push that through to the eventual consumer? And the impression I got was that there were several that are very optimistic that they'll get there, and the activity is going to start in the June-July timeframe. Most of them are talking about you know, Q3, Q4, uh, raise okay. prices and drive it through. That's going to be kind of the day of reckoning, I think, because either they're going to be successful and everybody's going to feel it and take it and spread the pain, or they're not going to be successful and margins are going to compress and they're going to start missing earnings calls. So uh, I think this is where we're kind of set up. It's pretty dramatic. So um, the new prediction, I wrote down some notes here, is two and a half times the normal manufacturing productivity improvement. So in my experience, generally you're expected in a manufacturing environment to improve your productivity about 2% a year. This 5% is over two and a half times that level. So even if you do do the 2% productivity improvement, you're still looking at a 3.5% growth in your costs. And uh, like I mentioned at the last PMI, and I think this validates it again, that we are now in the heaviest sustained production price growth environment since the late 2000 recession. We haven't seen anything like this since 2005, 2006. It's, uh, is that good or bad? <laughs> I think as long as it gets passed through. And, but I think if it gets passed through, then it's going to be kind of dampened through uh, Fed actions. Because if the whole economy took a 4% price growth, I'm not so sure that would be perceived as being the right thing long term. And uh, my, my thought would be, and I'm no expert in this, is that you see some modification of maybe the, uh, the gradual increase in interest rates. And like I've been saying for a while, you probably would see 
the uh, the buyback of all those bonds or the sellback of all those bonds to try to pull money out of the market. So I, I think the Fed is always there to kind of temper this stuff. And with this kind of price growth happening, predicted all the way through the end of the year, they're probably going to have to do something. You know, it's interesting that when the economy expands, it usually expands slowly, rises incrementally. But when the economy tanks, it's within 30 days. It's, a, it's a slam, yeah. So we, we've done some predictions on the manufacturing expansion since 2002. I've talked to you guys about it a couple of times. And in our session, I actually drew a theoretical best fit line through those four expansion cycles. And the 0203 expansion cycle was very dramatic. And it ran for about 54 months. The expansion that really never was in uh, 2010, 2011, you can see the line is fairly flat. The one after that in 2013 through 15 is fairly flat. This line has got a really nice slope. It's got a really great shape. And it looks like in a couple more months, if it kind of bounces across the top, you can kind of predict that we're going to have a nice solid run at something over 54 PMI, probably nothing much higher than 58, 57. And it's going to go on for quite some time unless somebody throws a stick in the front wheel and causes the rider to go over the handlebars. <laughs> I can kiss you, but I'll hold back. <laughs> hold back, hold back. <laughs> So much for close quarters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anthony, on the consumer side, what's the sense that the consumer is going to absorb the price increases that look like they're coming? You know, it's interesting. When you look at pricing uh, year to year, uh, last year our respondents were saying that prices at 1.1% minimal. And for 2018, they're forecasting a 2.1% increase. Double, but still low percentage, 2.1%. Right. And they're anticipating most of it's front-loaded in the first half of the year, 1.3% with 0.8% on the balance. Now, you brought up pass-through, and I said it earlier. How much is going to be absorbed upstream in the supply chain before it filters down into the consumer and user on the manufacturing side? And so far, our respondents feel that not so much of an impact. There's still a bit of uncertainty with the tariffs, as you see came out of the questions and what's going to happen there. But right now, most of the price increases have been around the end fuel and around metals, as you guys know. And right. it's filtered down into uh, uh, the non-manufacturing. It's been on stainless and it's been on steel products. Tim brought up something earlier today that wound up in both reports on the monthly was soybean oil. And that was affected by what was one of the largest products being imported in. Right. Oh, right. Interesting. Well, this is what makes the, uh, the ROB so great. So, you know, Anthony's piece is the service sector generally. It tends to be a bit more stable. That's why manufacturing companies like to have a service sector in their portfolio business. And the manufacturing side tends to always be spikier. It rises right. faster and goes off the cliff, and it tends to be a little bit earlier. So, you know, on the pricing side, I was looking at my notes here. We predicted in December of 17 that prices would grow, input prices to us, to our manufacturing community, by 1.2%. No, I'm sorry, 1.8%. Now we're saying 5. Wow. That's incredible. 
That's it's a 3.2% increase in the space of six months. What a bad guess. We're way off. <laughs> We're way off. And, but we live it every day, right? Sure. And I think a lot of that has to do with the tariff-related impacts because yeah. we're dealing with steel, yeah. and it's such a big part of our economy. But, you know, at that kind of a growth, like I said earlier, that's just, that's just dramatic. It's, I'm almost afraid to think what might happen if the next set of tariffs on the 1,300 products kicks in largely affecting manufacturing and then consumers, that 5% could go up. Well, you know, you look at it, and there's obviously a big disagreement on tactics. Not to get into you know, the people who live in Washington. Big disagreement on tactics, and whatever they decide is going to have a massive impact on what's happening in our world, no doubt about that. Yeah, well, Anthony, let me wrap. Have you wrap up the non-manufacturing side? I'll go to Tim to wrap up the manufacturing side. I know you guys have got a big session here coming up shortly. So we're going to continue to see growth in the non-manufacturing sector moving forward in 2018. We talked about the operating rate at 85.5%, still strong. Capital expenditures, 6.8%, and that's something to note that. It's up from the uh, less than favorable forecast that we had back in the fall, uh, more in line with the 7% we had the prior year forecast. Came in about 3.2, now back up to 6.8. We're looking at revenue increases down a bit, 3.2%. I just think it's a leveling off. Still some room for growth there. And as well as uh, we look at uh, overall, the non-manufacturing sector has experienced uh, some hiring difficulty as we addressed in the special question. Right. Uh, wage pressure, not there. I think there's three factors to look at. One is globalization. The other is technology, as I mentioned. And lastly is competition. But still being a labor-intensive uh, uh, sector, Non-manufacturing uh, will continue to thrive going forward in 2018, the balance in 2018. Uh, touch base with me a little bit on globalization. When you look at, um, it kind of goes back to the old, the world is flat. <laughs> okay. You know, we're having more things come in interrelated with global economies, with global manufacturing, global services, and labor as well. So even though we talked about visas being limited, resources we've had offshoring, outsourcing, that has kept wage pressures down in check. Okay. Thank you. Okay, quick summary. So manufacturing revenue is up 6.6%, fantastic growth. Uh, production capacity capex in line with overall expansion so far. Prices up 5%, incredibly high, a lot of tariff related impacts. Transportation issues kind of driving that. And ultimately, the growth in manufacturing is going to be driven by our ability to hire and retain good qualified employees. Great time to be in manufacturing. You bet. You bet. Gentlemen, thank you for being with us. I have one comment to make. Oh, go for it, Lou. <laughs> when you, the audience, get to listen to these gentlemen on CNN, Bloomberg, Wall Street Journal, just remember, they're only talking for two minutes. <laughs> and we were here first. <laughs> That's right. We appreciate you being on the show. Thank you, thanks a lot. All right, great. Hey, thanks. Yeah, good conversation. Anthony, thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Tim. Tim, thank you See for you being with us. First. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us. And that wraps up this segment of Manufacturing Talk Radio. By the way, if you weren't at ISM, remember that supply chain touches everything from the C-suite to the loading dock door 
You missed it. You got to be here. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>